0: So, I've got the pleasure of sitting down with Tessa Werning, who came over from Amsterdam to Bristol for this conversation. And Tessa is a change maker and activist with a wealth of knowledge in using business as a force for good and for transforming businesses so they can ultimately be as impactful as possible through her consultancy. And Tessa has really had an interesting career from, you know, being the founder of Fairphone, one of the coolest organisations leading the change in mobile phone and e-waste change. And now Tessa runs WholeWorks and uh, the Undercover Activist, which both focus on organisational change and workplace resilience. So really interested in in this talk today. Without further ado, Tessa Wernick. Tessa. Welcome. Welcome to sunny Bristol. (laughs) Thank you. We are here for the Blue Earth Summit, which is going to be a really awesome couple of days. I think we're going to see hundreds of inspirational speakers in the the space of sustainability, business, activism, adventure, the outdoors. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be good, (laughs) isn't it? It's going to be really good. Um, And you're speaking. Yes. Which is going to be very exciting. Maybe we should talk about that in in today's conversation. But I wanted to actually start with something that I got very inspired by. Mm. In fact, I got like the warm, fuzzy feeling <laughs> when, I, um, when I read it, which is the cover on your LinkedIn right. profile. Activism is love made visible.
1: That nice. Is, that is, <laughs>
0: it is very nice. <laughs> People still
1: go to profile pages, which is good, good news. Good to know, but yeah. yeah.
0: But th- those, you know, those words, activism is love made visible. I, I'm so intrigued by the roots of that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, where did that come from? Well, I'm going to ask you later, obviously, why you were moved by it, but I can <laughs> give you my, uh, my, my answer of like what, how we came up with that mm. and why it's so important to us. Um, I, think it's, <clears throat> I think it's clear that activism is a loaded term and mm. that for a lot of people it's, it can be quite negative, so others it's possi- uh, positive. Um, but we're quite intentional about using the word activism yeah. or employee activism, because while it's seen as protest, what we think is what underlies that protest is <clears throat> the sense of, like, really strong values or things that you see that you really care about. So I think when people do step up and take action, it's because they really want to change something. So, And that changing something is not because they're against something, but it's because they're for something. Mm-hmm. Something. So that's why we say uh, it's love. Love made visible.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I, I mean, so you just talked about values there. Yeah. I mean most businesses have got values. Yes. Like are they seems a bit almost like a bit fluffy in business terms now isn't it values. What why why is that so important? Like
1: why is it, why are values important? Yeah. Oh, it's a good question. I think it's because it really defines uh, cultures, like what you what you what you value is what you uh, step up and do. It defines communities. And I think that it's something that we don't really know until uh, we see certain behavior. And I think that what's so fluffy in business about culture, like a purpose and values, is that it's become an exercise Mm -hmm. of businesses, usually at the top where they define their purpose and then they name a couple of values and they don't like uh, grounded or rooted in any kind of behavior that people can kind of say, okay, so that's what, you know, positivity or collaboration or whatever means. So it just becomes these empty terms. And I was speaking to somebody the other day <clears throat> that values is actually not enough. You should, like, maybe take one step deeper and call them core narratives. So mm-hmm. what are the narratives that underlie, like, how you grew up? What did your, And we are, we're all part of these different systems, you know, your family system, your school system, your community system. And each of these, I think, have narratives or values that you unconsciously have taken with you uh, through life and that you search for when you, when you join a company.
0: It's, it's really interesting because you... you kind of have that perspective of values written on a wall with yeah. some like really cheesy stock yes. image behind them. Um, do, you, do you think that companies can evolve their values?
1: I mean, we, could, we can be maybe uh, negative about the fact that companies have decided to name their values, but it is a first step. Yeah. I think it's something that hasn't been visible and that, is, uh, that are unwritten rules on how you behave in a company. So if that is the first step to visualizing what's important in a company, then it's good, but you can't stop there. You really need to ground them in behavior and maybe even habits and to make that really intentional. So some of the things that we suggest with companies is to really find stories or behaviors, things that happen on an everyday basis, and and, uh, say it out loud. So I really liked what you did at that meeting, like you spoke up around uh, for somebody, you know, and that really... To me, stood for blah 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 value or something, mm-hmm. so that you actually give it some body. This so is that
0: like, kind of appreciative feedback, yeah. That I guess helps move organizations from one state to another.
1: Yes, yeah. I, I remember it like work that I had. So it's it's mentioning when when something uh, adheres, I guess, to a value, but also when it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But the way that you know we we really stand for collaborative behavior or we're a really open company. And if, and if I don't know what you're doing on a daily basis, you know, I don't really know how to engage with you or something, you mm. know, so that you became, you become, become more conscious of what these values actually mean. What's
0: like the importance of collaboration right yes. now is greater than ever, mm. right? Are we, are we seeing that in the business sense in the wider sustainability community, is that, and has that been impacted, especially after
1: the global pandemic? Collaboration. Oh, I, I, I think, um, <clears throat> I don't know, it's such a big question. I don't know if a collaboration has been impacted. I think what, what I try to do is a, a little bit uh, uh, different from collaboration and it's about collective leadership. So mm. <clears throat> how can we um, acknowledge that everybody is, has agency? Mm. You know? So there's this kind of uh, a feeling of personal leadership how can I take action? You get a lot of, like, every job is a climate job. It's not just the sustainability department. So if I see something, how can I, you know, uh, step up and how can I then collaborate with somebody who maybe also doesn't have a sustainability job, you know? Um, so I think collaboration is has always been around. Uh, some people are better at it than others. <laughs> <laughs> but we also need people who are loners. But, uh, but I think it's, it's about leadership as well.
0: So, so going back to that, that that line activism, is love made visible? Like, when did you write that? Was that a kitchen table over a coffee, a glass of red wine?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I was so I set up undercover activists with my uh, uh, business partner uh, Veronique Winkles, and we were thinking about our website, like what kind of quotes or what things like resonate with you, and this one came up, and we and we were both like did we make that up? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. Like, should I Google it? Is it anywhere? We couldn't find it anywhere. So it's like, it's not a quote. It's not ours. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's something that, uh, that emerged, I think, from our work. And it's really, I don't like to use it as a payoff because then it can come, become a bit uh, bland. But I'm curious, what did it do for you? What, what, do you know what it did for you when you read it? Like, or mm-hmm. like what kind of sparked?
0: What, what I love about words and poetry because that's poetry, mm. in my eyes, is that level of contrast. Right. So you, you know, when you think about activism, you think about um, you know protests through the streets, yeah. and and you you might think about uh, the school strikes uh, that have been going on um, you know around the world on a Friday, led by Greta. Um, you you might think about even more heavy stuff with yes. in Britain, literally gluing themselves to roads. Um, it's quite a harsh visual. Hmm. In, 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 when, it, when I think about that word activism,
1: yeah.
0: it doesn't have to be that, but that's ultimately what perhaps my journey and maybe even just the media often has kind of led to my perspective of that yeah. word. And then you've got love, yeah. which is just like this incredible.
1: Yeah, it's um, not a business term either.
0: No. Somebody <laughs> said the not. other
1: no. Someone said the other day. She was Irish, I think. She said, i worked in England a lot. I think it might be because I'm English, but the word love in business just makes me really uncomfortable. I <laughs> <laughs> said, so I don't think it's because you're British. I think it's in general, like it's not a word that is associated with activism nor with business. You know, mm-hmm. it's all about fear and competition and making sure that you're the best. And <clears throat> whereas I think it's, it's, I mean, I'm on a mission to make business more humane and to make it a place where you, you don't need to be brave to speak up, but it can be somewhere where we actually have conversations. So mm. I think that that's a really important starting point: is that we're all containers and we've got so many different emotions going on at the whole time. Mm. And there's one uh, there's one I, I actually made these stickers: "Love is ac- uh, activism," made vis- uh, activism is love made visible. And it was a moment that this lawyer who he showed me his phone. He said, I have a daughter and she's in Extinction Rebellion and I don't get her, but I'm a, uh, she doesn't get me and we're always struggling and stuff. And I sent her this picture. I saw your, your uh, sticker and I sent her this picture and she sent me a heart back. And I just thought, oh, that's so nice because it was kind of being seen that what she stood for was really important to her and that he acknowledged that too. So I think there's a, there's a connection that if you start from a, a feeling of connection, mm. the conversation's different, right? Yeah.
0: So this is a, a relatively kind of new part to the to the journey, isn't it? I, yeah. I think that um, I'd be really interested to know what you're doing now, what you want to be doing in the future. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about the past maybe later on down the, the conversation.
1: Yeah. Oh, what am I doing? So <clears throat> I think uh, I, I, I struggle with saying all the things that I do, and I try to kind of start with why am I doing it, and I think it's I think it's around that. Uh, uh, Changing, changing, changing business or trying to make it more humane. And the past is incredibly important reason why I do what I mm. do, which is about that collective leadership. Mm. Uh, and the way I explain it is that coming together around a cause and feeling that you can do something about it is really powerful. Um, and it's something that I noticed setting up a social enterprise with people who came together around it. Um, interviewing uh, people for the podcast that I make with Impossible around what if we get it right. You know, It's that questioning, the curiosity, experimenting and just trying. And I think that's been the inspiration for the undercover activists saying, okay, we've got social entrepreneurship, but I think we really need social intrapreneurship basically to start changing the world so that it becomes something that's... Because social enterprises can be a, like a role model of how business can be done, mm. And not to undermine it, but it's just not enough. (laughs) So, and I think there's a lot of people that I see in businesses that are, you know, especially the younger generation come in with climate anxiety, Mm -hmm. uh, a real sense of urgency, and are just uh, hit a brick wall because they see that actually, besides like the purpose that has been (laughs) advertised internally, not a lot is changing, and they don't have a lot of say. So, this is this this undercover activist. Hub that we started uh, has been doing a lot of research, uh, listening to stories who, of people who are in businesses trying to change things and trying to transla- translate that into yeah. learning. So we, we host an online course and we have content uh, available for people who want to campaign, let's say, internally or use an activist mindset to to start like changing or influencing uh, from from within companies. And
0: you know, so w- within both, you kind of coaching and and, and and consulting work as well as yeah. the, the podcast, you're looking to move conversations mm. uh, you know, from the why we have to innovate um, to the how we need to innovate yeah. and, and I love that but was there a moment in that journey where you're like oh I'm just done with people talking about stuff, <laughs> <laughs> was, there, was there a specific moment? In-
1: Uh, I can get sick of myself talking about stuff sometimes. Um, I mean, a lot of it is talking and we need to have conversations. And sometimes conversations themselves is action. You know, Uh, if you can have a good conversation, the process of a conversation is action. So I think, um, especially, uh, I guess, especially in activism, you understand that it's a, a generational thing, or it takes time, and that actually uh, it's not a quick fix. You know, so it's, there's no one solution. There is no one future, but it's the process in which we're having conversations that is going to decide that future. So I think that. Um, so I don't undermine like conversations <clears throat> not being action, uh, but sometimes you do just have to just try things, do yeah. it, experiment. You know, totally. make mistakes, um, and I think. That, I mean I can get stuck in conversations but because I, I hate making mistakes <laughs> yeah. yeah but I also just do it you know then there, there's, there's often
0: like a strive for perfection as well it's yeah like, oh, we're not, we're not going to trial this thing until we've got it exactly <clears throat> right but that holds things so much yeah. and you know trial and error is everything yeah uh, Unfortunately when you have certain organizations or you work within certain systems, it's often the organisations which are being the boldest yeah. and trying things that get called out the quickest uh, and we've seen that specifically with an activism um, and you, you know, e- even with the kind of XR movement in yeah. the UK especially, there was a real momentum happening yeah. in, in 2020 and there was one, maybe two mistakes that were made which yeah. kind of just brought the whole thing down. Um, What's really interesting you know we are literally having this conversation because the Blue Earth Summit are bringing thought leaders in lots of different fields together um, to get them inspired to, to learn from thought leaders to make connections which is an incredibly valuable thing yeah connections is everything but there's also workshops
1: yeah the, the,
0: the, the whole purpose of why they're bringing people together isn't just to have conversations it's about making action plans Hmm. and you know that is an incredibly valuable thing when you have um, the best known uh, events in the world supposedly moving the climate message forward ie the cops yes (laughs) then suddenly being sponsored by the brands that often are the ones that are being called out Hmm. for being the worst polluters in the world ie coca-cola and the latest news that Coca-Cola is a sponsor of COP27 this year. You mean
1: Shell? Oh, it's Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, and you're, yeah. you're also thinking yes. about
0: Shell uh, also <coughs> being uh, the lead sponsor of the UK uh, cycling
1: yeah.
0: uh, for the next eight years until 2030. Like, that's a pretty large contrast, isn't yeah. it? Because you've got these networks of conversations happening, these networks of policy being pushed forward. Um but then they're being financed by the organizations which are obviously the ones that are doing harm yeah. at the end of the, the process where do you feel y- your kind of mind is on that
1: well i i can sense a, a kind of level of dissociation from you right it's like how can we be it's good and bad mm. and they're coming together in one thing that's supposed to be good and it doesn't doesn't match in mm. your mind or something whereas i think Yes, these conferences are great, uh, and COP is incredibly important, and the Blue Earth Summit. And, but I don't know about you, but I always tend to meet... It's great to connect, and it's great to strengthen these networks, but they tend to be people who think alike, yeah. you know? So, it's the echo chamber, from, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, and so from a perspective of change, I, I see it from a systems perspective. Perspective that we need all these different voices because they're not going to go away, and if and and we can kind of huddle like in in a in a summit and say okay, but we're strong now, so we can voice our concerns outwardly. But how can we invite that kind of the other voices into this conference? And I think that that's something that I'm learning about with this undercover activism or the positive workplace activism uh, activities that I'm trying to do is how do we actively invite. Uh, disagreement yeah you know so if you see activism there's a really good um, researcher author on the subject called Megan Wrights and she says employee activism is voices of difference who are uh, influ- like are using their influence to question things on social and environmental issues within companies and disrupting the status quo mm. and I think that when we look at businesses and employee activism there's a kind of you know what are these people doing and it's it's usually targeted toward the people who are speaking up, so it becomes very personal. Mm. And then it's like, but don't shoot the messenger, you know? <laughs> they're, they're being brave in voicing something, but how can we uh, create meetings where we have an extra seat at the table, which is the voice of dissent, and everybody can take that voice. Or we ask everybody to find a way in which they disagree with what's being said, because then if we think about decisions that are going to be made, we don't just want... Yay sayers, you know, we don't want anybody, everybody to agree. We want people to disagree and to to, to, to be able to voice that. So I think it's great to feel the mismatch with Coca Cola and COP, you know, because it makes us uh, have to think about what doesn't make sense and what is it that we do want. Whereas if we were only going to collect the good around us, how do we how do we define what's good, you know, or like uh, or what's bad in that case? So. Let's have a conversation about it, and I'm, I'm interested in what Coca-Cola has to say. <laughs> True,
0: yeah. Do you, and do you do you think that that um, you know positive workplace activism is the next generation or the next most important thing for truly impactful brands?
1: Um, when I started with social, ent- I was thinking about social entrepreneurship. When we started, it was like, okay, what's the definition of social entrepreneurship? And everybody had a different definition. And I still think it's. It's kind of depending on what academic study you do, but it feels like it's been institutionalized. Whereas mm. I think <clears throat> corporate activism is, is something that people are starting to understand, uh, which is, you know, uh, Patagonia or, or you speaking out as a brand uh, on certain issues, public and social issues, but that's as, as a brand. And employee activism is different again because mm. it's, it's really about people internally uh speaking up against their company um and it's not a democracy in a company right so you need to understand what are your rights to speak up you could just be fired and not everybody has the chance or the choice or the the privilege to speak up so what is it and how are we going to um, uh um Define it, mm. I guess, and how are we going to make it part of your business degree or your other degree? You know, and it's not just as a person speaking up but as a manager. How do I deal with voices of dissent? How do I make it part of a not just a business? It could be anything. So I think in that sense, activism will never go away. But can we have some of it, please? You know, in <laughs> our in our work environments. Yeah.
0: So, so what kind of tips would you give a, a boss or, or a manager in being able to? I guess, enable and facilitate a progressive workplace.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to steal some of these from Megan Wrights, but she talks about speaking up and listening up power, listening up power, speaking up and listening up power, which is uh, don't don't depend on your uh, people to speak up, uh, but take initiative and listen up. So one, I think, is... Whatever you bring into the room as a manager is what will be talked about. So if there is a topical issue, you yeah. know, around maybe show and cycling, bring it up, have a conversation about it because it's probably alive with your uh, employees. Um, and I think somebody said you can't outsource listening. Like all these surveys that people do. Oh, when I did this survey, and all this data, you know, proves blah blah blah. But it's like it's actually you have to also listen and not just uh, um, to to what people are saying i think mm-hmm. and that's something that's also a cultural thing you know i think and the second i mean for me what i strongly believe in is that leadership is not embodied by one person or by management mm-hmm. or you know in hierarchical structures i think that leadership can come from different people and it doesn't mean that everybody has to be on the barricades and you know uh, speaking up i think we all as someone said have our role in the revolution mm. um but people can do different things you know and i think that if we can make space for that then um yeah it's
0: it's, it's really interesting because you know in are going through yeah. um a journey at the moment as we scale up um there are a number of different things that happen within our organizational behavior and our culture um that you know ultimately I've never done before, I've never gone through that before, Um, we as as a group of people, um, you know, we're working together to find out what the answers are and, you know, as a a white privileged male I have blind spots
1: Hmm.
0: and one of the um, most important things that as a group we have been able to do and we're certainly not perfect but we've been able to start the journey, yeah. is to create a safe space to talk yeah. about these things. So, so ultimately in that, in that, in that space that a male might have a, a louder voice, maybe has had some coffee that morning and jumps in and talks over, mm. perhaps a, a female who's more experienced in that specific topic, but might have been, you know, that half a second m- moment of pause to think about the answer. And then they don't get the spotlight on mm. maybe a zoom call, for example, which is actually really hard when you're not yeah. in the room together. because you can't have that energy. It, it's something that, y- you know, you've got to have those conversations to be able to aware that that's to be aware that that's a thing that you can't do it in the future. It's a behavior that yeah. often we have to unlearn. Um, and you know, specifically when you're talking about, um, minority ethnic communities, um, know when you're talking about um, less represented communities in certain industries and the communications world is has got a real problem genuinely you know if if um, if we depend on a job needing certain skills which perhaps revolve around uh, the use of very expensive cameras or software Mm -hmm. And certain communities haven't ever had um, exposure and learning to those specific uh, uh, softwares or, or, or cameras or, or equipment. It's very hard as a leader to, to be able to take that risk in a business environment, specifically in an economic crossroads right now, to be able to say, oh, you know, we, we're going to train up different yeah. communities so that we can be, you know, as inclusive as possible. But it is literally leaders' responsibility to do that because nobody else is going to do it. How do you balance that when there is an economic climate like now, when ultimately we're in a position where we're having to often keep businesses afloat and risk manage, yeah. but we also need to be, specifically organisations like B Corps, be the leading light in how yeah. business behaviour has to be different in the future. It's a really tricky balance, isn't it, but something that we have to do.
1: Yeah. That's a long intro. <laughs> I was curious. I was curious, uh, but maybe that's for later. How you created a safe space in your uh, in your organisation?
0: Facilitation.
1: Facilitation. So you have an outward. Yeah. Uh, out, someone from outside comes in.
0: The, the we had an ex- external facilitator in progressive ways of working. Okay. He came in. In fact, didn't come in. We went out.
1: Right. We yeah. went out
0: into nature. Um, really important, actually, to yeah. get away from the workplace. To. Make sure there's no laptops or
1: you
0: you know no notifications happening and we spent time together and we used specific techniques to be able to enable those conversations
1: yeah nice yeah and you're it's a huge conversation on diversity and inclusion and i mean frankly i find it i find it it's all it's confusing You know, as personally, I see it as really confusing. I grew up in Hong Kong, which is like one of the last colonial uh, places uh, to which identity for me was just like, who am I? I'm a Dutch person living in an English colony in China. You know, I I think I thought President Reagan was the president of the world when I grew up. It's like (laughs) I had no connection with community, you know. And my partner, his mom is uh, Indian South African. She moved around a lot. So there's a lot like... Our colonial history is so close. I'm, I still, you know, I'm, I'm a product of that. And for me, it's, it's been such a per, part of who I am. So f- for these couple of years, I've just been like being confronted and like learning and having these conversations and trying to understand, you know, and I still feel like I'm kind of uh, searching for this kind of bedding that I'm in. So I feel like to come from a place of humility, perhaps, and saying, we, I have no idea, like, mm. teach me. Mm. Um, what am I missing? I think that's a really good starting point because I, I agree. I think if leaders, as in managers, have to figure out the problem of how to involve more people in their workforce in different areas, then you're, again, not in a negative way, but you're relying on some kind of person who's going to come up with all the solutions. Whereas I think if you say, okay, well, this is what we want, how are we going to do it? Uh, then we've got such a bigger, much bigger brain, you know? Uh, uh, and and. Uh, and it's not about, maybe it isn't um, that the way we see the future of diversity inclusion is the same way that everybody sees it, you mm-hmm. know? So I think it's it's that conversation and trying to figure out together, like, how are we going to do this? Yeah. And we don't have the answers, you know? So let's talk about it. Yeah. yeah, and just,
0: you know, be aware that we're on a journey, but we need to move fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we need to trial an error, an experiment. and
1: Yeah, and I think corona in that sense, I've spoken to companies who said... I won't mention them, but big global companies that said, because we couldn't be on the ground in certain locations, they had to figure it out themselves. Mm. And they come up with the most amazing solutions, you know, because they had no headquarters telling them how to do it, because Mm. they're so much more uh, connected to their communities and their locations, you know, so they knew how to deal with stuff. And you see it from... I don't know, daycare where I take my children, they're all owned by hedge funds. And I think, all oh, these people on the ground, they know how to deal with children, but they've got like, this is your budget, this is how much you get to do, you yeah. know? And it's just, it has nothing to do anymore, but it's that scale, oh, but then we can scale. But who's that benefiting, really, you know? And I think those are, if you don't give people the means to solve their own problems, and you think you have to solve the problem, then you're still in that same mindset yeah. of, oh, I'll solve the diversity and inclusion problem, where it's like, uh-uh, wait, maybe you're not... You're not the person here who has to solve it. You just need to admit that actually, um, uh, yeah, the leadership needs to come from somewhere else. Yeah. T- t- mm-hmm. Tell us about
0: the um, the Fairphone journey, and and you know I'm really intrigued to know where that started. Yeah. And um, you know what were the kind of core learnings mm-hmm. that that you had through that journey?
1: Um, how did it start? Uh, so I think for me, I, I like where it started is I'd been freelancing. I had just had my second uh, son. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I met Bas von Abel, who, um, at, who was just thinking about setting up a social enterprise. And I'd also applied for a job with a big PR firm. And I'd gone through like, a couple of different uh, um, application procedures. And by Christmas, both of them said, you've got the job. And I remember asking everybody in my community, like, like my friends, my peers, what should I do? And They were like, no, you should go for the big, you know, uh, the PR job. You'll you'll learn a lot and everything, except for my mum and my partners, which is, you know, it's great. But I I think I knew that I wanted to go with a social enterprise, and it, there was nothing there except a promise. I mean, there there was a built community, which was incredibly important, and a concept. Uh, but the idea was they had four hundred thousand, and we were going to build a phone in a year. Um, and we had two people on board and I just thought, let's just do it, you know, this is fun. This is going to be an adventure. Let's do it. Yes. So I think for me, looking back is very different from being in it. I yeah. think when um, when I look back now, I think it was such a, you know, you get these kind of hubs for energy, I think, everywhere where people come together Uh around these 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 things that they want to change that's for for me fairphone was such a platform I guess for different people to connect to uh, their their personal passion so <clears throat> whether it was on technology you know we need to change products or conflict areas we need to like address the conflict minerals to working conditions to uh, you know waste programs or even like I'm a lawyer and I think uh, intellectual property should be different like people all had these skills and and they were like uh, they were in charge. Like, how are we going to do this? You know. So I think that that first starting period, I think they call it affectuation <laughs> in, uh, in in academia. It's like something is as big as you, your knowledge, and your network. So it mm. really depends on the people that come together. Um, and I think, I mean, it's 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 funny. We met this company called Puzzle Phone along the way, and they were a group of thirty engineers, and we were a group of. You know, 20 campaigners basically, and, and like designers and, and communications experts. And um, we didn't have a lot of technology technologists the first couple of years. They didn't have any communicators, you know. So I think it, it's kind of, it took a couple of years for Fairphone to really establish itself as a phone making mm-hmm. company, you know, that the phone was a real alternative to what's out there. Um, and before that, it was very much a campaign of like, I'm going to buy into this because I know if I believe in this product, then I can like, help it on its next leg and on its journey. So the starting point was we are Fairphone. Nusom Fairphone was how it started. like, how can we build this company? And I think that that was really like the first couple of years, was just like you get goosebumps, like people who would offer stuff to you or like make it happen or allies in the business. And, uh, and I think that that's something that's really stayed with me over the years. Um, and, what, and why a phone? Why a phone? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Fairphone started as an awareness-raising campaign around the use of conflict minerals in the Congo. Mm. And at the time, it was VAC Society that said, an action aid. And they said, we need to do a campaign around this. Um, and Bas van Abel, who was working in, uh, at Fairphone uh, together with the action aid, said, yeah, great, we can do a campaign. And then what? You know, So then people will know that their phone's people will know that their phones uh, contain conflict minerals, but it's not like they have an alternative or a choice or anything. So the campaign itself became this idea of, okay, if we made a phone differently, you know, then we could address this conflict minerals. And then from there it grew to like, what other interventions are there? How are phones made actually? So they started like taking phones apart and mm-hmm. understanding the story. And the idea was like, Nobody in the world knows how this phone really came together. So if we use it as a storytelling tool or an object that we're trying to take apart and understand, then we can start making interventions and and changing the way things are made.
0: So somebody in in a meeting, someone was like, should we just make, the, make phone? the phone? yeah.
1: But I mean, it's like Milton Friedman has this example around uh, the invisible hand of our economy, and he uses a pencil. He says, mm-hmm. you know, the pencil, the wood came from there, and the graphite came from there, and the rubber, blah, blah, blah. And he just says, it's the invisible hand of our economy. And I just thought, if only we were making a pencil <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> or a chair or something like that, because a phone itself is so difficult. So complex. Yeah, it's so complex, yeah.
0: Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately, there's got to be a level of resilience to be, one, <laughs> there's got to be a level of real adventure yeah, um, to go and take on the biggest companies in the world to, to show that you can do it differently. Mm. There's also got to be a level of resilience to keep going. You know, uh, is that something that you learn at, at Fairphone? You know, especially when you're going up against the kind of Apples, the Samsungs who've got yeah billions of pounds in marketing budget
1: yeah I mean uh, did, what did you say it was that you said it was to go against uh, the big, a sense of adventure we called it to be strategically naive you know <laughs> just to yeah. just say we're not a pain in the ass we really there's the problems that bigger companies have we don't have but we're small we're innovative we just want to understand how it works you mm. know so could you educate us you know could you because we know that we don't want to do this so how does it work and i think that that was for me incredibly important at the beginning framing fairphone as a as a as a platform that we needed people to come on board because there is no such thing as a fair phone so we need every, everybody to come and to work together on how could we then create a, a, a fairphone. fair phone so and that made it a welcoming uh, adventure let's say that for, and and we never I think publicly worked with these bigger companies but we more indirectly people would contact us you know and they would share and we would share in, in in smaller kind of working groups and everything so it was a it was it' was like an, an ongoing learning um, experience I think that really made it the, the powerful thing that it is and, and it's that kind of Uh, leading by example Mm. you know I don't know and we're going to make mistakes but let's just try you know and and um, so I think that was that was really important and when you talk about resilience I know that that was a word that came up uh, for us in in these in the kind of more scaling time like how do we go from being a startup to being a scale-up and I was always concerned that our Uh, biggest threat was from the outside you know oh you know they're gonna uh, get you know wipe us out with some kind of indeed marketing campaign or something but it it was actually internal organizational stuff and scaling up that proved to be incredibly difficult Mm -hmm. and uh, quite a constraint on the company and I know that I mean Bas van Abel he left as a founder like burned out for a while were really different and managers that came in and i think that the pressure on uh, on growing a company when you are an adventurer you know like how, now you're a ceo and how do you how do you create that company and how do you scale up so i was thinking about resilience yesterday i thought what is you you really know what resilience is when you are no longer resilient you know when you find that you are that place where you kind of there's no stretch left in you uh, so, and I thought, when is the last time I had that? was like, right at the end of Corona with three kids and all those rules and I couldn't go to school and I couldn't go to work and every day there was just like this new thing that kind of changed my day again, you know, without any warning, you know, and I thought, I sat on the stairs and I was just crying. I was just like, oh, am I going to do this? And I thought, yeah, so that's, that's, and is that the moment that you say enough uh, and that you ask for help? And how can we recognize that in advance, you know, or how do we talk about what is too much before we get to that place of, like, the, we're not stretching. So I think if you work in a startup or scale-up, you need to be adaptable. So you're constantly adapting to new situations and uncertainty and mm-hmm. complexity. But that needs to be something, I think, uh, that you recognize and maybe put more effort into self-care mm-hmm. and understand, like, when, you know, when is t- pressure too much, Um and internal, external pressures. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Totally. I think yeah. a lot of people are <clears throat> going to really resonate with
1: that
0: one. Um, and I guess that's that that journey that there's various you know scenarios that you have gone through, the highs, the lows. Yeah. That's where you've landed with the undercover activist,
1: and that's the future. For now. I'm also doing a project on the code for children's rights, how to how to create technology that incorporates children's rights in the design of things. But, yeah, no, I keep busy around social. So I think what's important to me, so if someone said, can I introduce her? She founds things. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's interesting, yeah. But I think it's more about uh, how do we navigate. So if there's an issue, societal or environmental issue, mm-hmm. it's not that I'm... Uh, I have answers that I'm really passionate about energy, or you know, it's more about the how do we create something? Um, how do we navigate that complexity and make it something understandable to talk about mm. and to identify who else is involved? Like, what is this ecosystem around it, and what are the interests, and how can we come together around it? So I think that that's mm. important for me. It's like it's so interconnected, uh, everything. Um, but it's just also fascinating to, to figure out how it, how it works and who to involve and how to get people to kind of uh, work together on, on, yeah, on, on addressing things. Yeah.
0: So to bring it to a close, because you're going to be speaking on stage mm. very soon. Yes. Um, what are you hoping to get from today's panel? What are you talking about? Um, you're also sharing the stage with some pretty amazing people, yes. including G- Gail yeah. Bradbrook from yeah. XR,
1: founder of XR. Yeah. So w- what is the, the panel today? So the first i'm actually speaking at two so the first is a panel on center stage with gail bradbrook and caroline dennett mm-hmm. uh, she wrote a letter to her she was contracted for shell for 11 years and wrote yep. a letter I might know her and <clears throat> yeah i'm you know everybody everybody i anyway, i always suffer from imposter syndrome <laughs> i think two amazing uh women uh on this stage so
0: Three amazing women on this, stage.
1: <laughs> and uh, kemi I think, is the is the moderator. I think for me, it's about um, it's, yeah. I I guess it's so. I would really like to talk about employee activism. So not yeah. corporate activism uh, necessarily, as like how we as brands or, or or companies come together, but really, how do we create safe spaces? Like you were talking about, how do we invite uh, disagreement? How can we see love? Uh, you know, activism as love made visible rather than kind of be afraid of it? So these are things that I'd like to start. I'd like to start Spark, that people mm. can, can think about it. And my question actually is like, who is doing stuff internally that recognizes this? And how can you put me in touch with people who are, just to understand, like to create these stories and to see mm. whether we can learn from uh, people who are actually doing it. Yeah.
0: I think it's going to be a, a real interesting... Um, space to be doing that because you have literally uh, founders, yeah. You have interns, you have students, you have adventurers. Um, you know, so many different people from so many different backgrounds. Yeah. I think coming in from the whole of Europe to,
1: to to the event. So nice. And there's a second. There's a yeah, second. Yeah, I was to about to get to that with uh, Kressa Wesseling yeah, who I admire. Amazing. Uh, I see she's wonderful. Such a legend. And Jarvis. I'm not entirely yeah. sure his name is, but. the starting point for conversation is if you're capable you're responsible so that's my question to you do you feel that (laughs) if you're capable you're responsible
0: (laughs) yeah i think so i mean look it's such a it's such an interesting space Uh, what what i what i love about and i know that you know Cress is uh, one of the founding b corps in the uk Hmm. um there's an a, a methodology and a belief that Um, from certain organizations who I, I don't want to say who truly get it, but it's not about being perfect. It's about consistent improvement and continuous improvement. Mm. And I think everybody's responsible. And that said, though, there are certain people in organizations which are more responsible than others. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, you know, I take ownership for, you know, things that happen, um, potentially in client work that had to be changed at the last minute, mm. even if I wasn't involved in that specific project, because I, I am in the position of, of guiding the organization, yeah. not necessarily leading, um, because actually we're all leaders, everybody in, uh, in our organization is a leader, but I think it is, it is an interesting conversation to be had. I'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes. And, um, yeah. What What are you specifically looking for out of that? Is Is there any kind of is there any kind of tips that you're looking to kind of share with the audience? Uh, I
1: I'm I'm really hoping to unravel that mm. statement uh, with the audience mm. because I feel like what is capable? You know, is that does that? What are we talking about when we say capable? Is, mm. it, is everybody is everybody just capable or does it matter on your? It's funny because that's literally what you're... popped up in my, my head <laughs> yeah. when you
0: asked that what yeah. is capable and right. what is
1: responsible i mean i my biggest allergy at home is when my children I have three sons don't take <laughs> responsibility it's just like who did this i didn't do it i didn't do it and I'm like, you're not gonna get punished but just tell me who did it you yeah. know it's like why is it so tough to kind of go oh i did that so i just taking responsibility for me is like it's such a yeah I, it's almost a threat mm. you know of taking what happens when you take responsibility and I, so I'm, I think, I mean, I feel overly responsible for things. So sometimes I should <laughs> learn to not take responsibility. Really? But yeah, so I think I, it's just unravelling it at the moment because I don't know if it, I don't know what it means really fully. Yeah.
0: So to end three quick fire questions, recommendation of a podcast, and you're totally, in fact, encouraged
1: to say your own one. <laughs> what if we get it right by, uh, my, you know, um, I think oh, well, I'd like my, the, the, the podcast concept because it's very much a questioning concept on what if we get it right, it's interviewing entrepreneurs from around the world based on the Sustainable Development Goals, yeah. how they embrace that in their company. Um, but I listened to a podcast by Brene Brown interviewing Megan Wrights and John Higgins on employee activism, mm. which I really recommend. Okay. Um, and that's it for now.
0: And book recommendation favorite book
1: oh i'm reading emergent strategy right now by adrian marie brown which is very much around because when you said you said something about uh in businesses you know that you know certain people speak up and Mm -hmm. other people don't um is that i sat in businesses and my whole body would just like heat up you know and i'd be like Okay, this isn't right. This isn't right. But how do I express what I'm saying? Oh, I should just, you know, suppress it. Suppress and, it. Yeah, yeah. So I think, and this is very much around. Well, what is, uh, what is in the room? Mm. What is emergent? How do we give it a, a space without having to like give it words yet? Mm. So I think that this is for me. Like, I, I like this idea of emergent strategy. That it's that it's, uh, yeah, that it's that there's so much in the room, and how do we work with that? So that's a real recommendation. Yeah.
0: And finally, favorite music to put on to either just escape or to think about something that's really really cool oh.
1: gosh i'm not a so i'm gonna i <laughs> water pistol no that's my <laughs> my husband's uh, uh he, he's a musician and he plays that and it's it's actually really good it really i uh, oh, would totally with me. <laughs> say that. let's pick up water pistol <laughs> there you go <laughs> i love it brilliant
0: yeah. um thank you so much tessa yeah
1: um, my pleasure thank honestly, you honestly was
0: so great to chat and um can't wait to, to see the, the, the panels that you're on today. and yeah. Also, just spend time getting inspired by lots of different people.
1: Yeah, thanks for uh, giving me a, like a, a, a runway to get ready. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Yeah. Oh, so good to have Tessa on the podcast. Her latest company, Undercover Activists, really grabbed my attention in LinkedIn with this tagline that she's got, which is Activism is Love Made Visible, which we started the conversation on. And, and having seen her speak at the Blue Earth Summit, I think she has an incredible knowledge base for transformational change, which is clearly so important for positive impact in organisations. And, and look, like I know a number of organisations which are purpose-driven, from you know multinational conglomerates to smaller B Corps who know that if their organisational structure and their employee interaction was better, they could be making even more impact. And and, and she's a real expert in this, and I I loved her her perception on certain things. And I loved things like bravery and the importance of feedback. The fact that we are ultimately striving for perfection constantly, but no matter which organisation, if you're Patagonia or a seasoned collective consultancy, no organisation is perfect. And and ultimately, by having employee activism, um, through having psychological safety, impact can really be as good as it can be. So thank you, Tessa. I've really enjoyed uh, today's episode. And and thank you listeners for listening to the Shifting Narrative podcast. If you ever fancy reaching out to me, then please do on LinkedIn or or Zing and Viral uh, an email. And mad appreciation for making it this far. Um, We've got some amazing episodes
1: coming out in the next few weeks, so over and out, Josh. Thank mm-hmm. you.